So here we are again, going through the list of these names. And um, but you know what? Every bit of God's Word is important. Every bit of God's Word is, is meaningful, even if we may not see it at, at times. It, it definitely is. And as we go through these names, we can see God's grace. We can see God's mercy through the stories that we know we've read through the Bible of these, these individuals. We see God's judgment at times. We see God's love. And this is, this is what we're, we're seeing through these genealogies as we go through it. And in uh, chapter 2, we're going to be starting off with the families of Israel or Jacob. So if I use one or the other, they're the same. And it uh, starts in verse 1. It says, These were the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. So now these names, I think, are starting to sound a little familiar to us. Uh, we can remember these uh, the sons of Israel who end up selling one of their sons, Joseph, into slavery and we follow his story where he goes into Egypt uh, and, and ends up becoming a prisoner and all the way to basically the second in command in Egypt. And we can follow his story and see God's grace and his mercy all on Joseph this entire way. And it was a bigger picture that we end up seeing with Joseph. We see a bigger picture of, of forgiveness and, and redemption in a, in a sense when his brothers come in, when there's a famine in the land and they come into Egypt to get the food that they're going to need to be able to survive this famine. And Joseph recognizes his brothers and has he put him through a little trial, making them go back and forth. But in the end, he brings forgiveness and he reconciles with his brothers all that they had done. And we see God's forgiveness through that. But God kept Joseph, kept his family, Israel, and his sons, and kept them and maintained them. And we can see God doing that. Not only then, we can see it through First and Second Kings, the patience and, and the mercies he did have with those in, in Judah and the northern kingdom, and we can see that in our own lives today. I'm pretty sure there are moments in our lives where we may be at the lowest of low, but then all of a sudden we see God reach out his hand and pull us out from that low spot. We may be on the highest of highs, but God reminds us you're only on this high because I'm putting you on this high. And we can see that here with the sons of uh, Israel, and especially with Joseph. Joseph ended up, uh, him, his family ended up breaking off into two other tribes, Manasseh and uh, Ephraim. So we see the tribes and the promise that God had made way back when to Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob, and then eventually to uh, his 12 sons, ranging on that promise that he had gave to Abraham years and years ago. But God sustains his people. He sustains me and you today. And we can see that through his sons, and we can see that all through Scripture, how he maintains his people. And then we go on to verse 3, it says, the sons of Judah. Now we're going to focus more on Judah, because remember, the southern kingdom pretty much was Judah and Benjamin. And they're the ones who got uh, carried off into captivity. And also through Judah, we'll see the line of our Savior come through here. So he gets a lot of airtime in the beginning, the first couple chapters. We're going to talk about the, the family of Judah. So it says the sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by uh, the daughter of Shehoah, there you go, the Canaanites. Ur, the firstborn of Judah, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he killed him. Wow. 
just he was wicked. It really doesn't say a whole lot about what he did. But the Lord killed him. And it says in verse 4, it says, And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore him Perez and Zerah. All the sons of Judah were five. Now, if we remember Tamar and what she did in order to get those sons, she was the wife of Ur, and then the second, one, second son did not bear her any children. Matter of fact, he didn't even go all the way to do that. But then she tricked Judah into impregnating her to have the son. She dressed up as a prostitute. She wanted to have an heir from this family. And uh, the first two sons of hers were going to give it. The younger son was way too young, so she wasn't going to wait. So she tricked Judah into doing that. Then we see Ur, who he did evil in the sight of God, and God killed him. And then we come to, as we come further down in verse 7, the son of Carmi was Acre, or Achan, the troubler of Israel who transgressed uh, in the accursed things. So back in Joshua in chapter 7, Joshua called him, why do you trouble Israel, or the troubler of Israel? Because they had had a victory, and God had said that none of you are to take the spoils. None of you are to take anything from, from, the, from those you defeated. Everything is going to be left for him. None of, nobody in Israel needs to take it. But Acre, or Achan, as they called him in some uh, translations, decided to take garments, decided to take gold, silver, what have you, and this was not supposed to happen. And he was hoping he had did that in secret where no one would know. But the very next battle in Ai, they lost that battle. And Joshua went to the Lord and asked, why have we lost this battle? There are not as many as we are, but yet we lost this battle. And God said, because someone has done wrong in your camp. Someone has, has done the accursed things. And God had told the nation of Israel not to take any of the spoils from the previous victory. And Achan did. And they come to find him out. Joshua called him, why do you trouble Israel? So that's why he is known as a troubler of Israel. But you know, with Ur and Achan, they, they were troubled because of their sins. And, and because of the characteristics of their sins. And no doubt, I'm, I'm sure that these two did some good things in their lives. At some point in time, they lived their lives, they did good things, but they were characterized here by their sins. And one thing I like about the Bible is it doesn't leave any of the bad stuff out. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't dumb it down. It gives you everything, the, the, the raw, the nitty-gritty of life. It gives that to you to let you know that, hey, things are messed up. And we see that in this genealogy with these, these three here, with, with, with Tamar, and we see it with Ur, and we see it with Achan. We see what they did, which was displeasing to, to the Lord. And, but we see also the Lord working things out after this and working it out for his good of his people, working it out for his will. And I think, too, with the way the Bible is, most authors, if they're going to write a book about something, they're going to want to tell you all the highlights and all the good things. The Bible won't do that. And I think that's even the more reason why we should take this book for what it is, the Word of God. It's more proof of, of, of this being the Word of God and not just some fiction or fairy tale that we read to our children. But this book is about real life, real situations. And we can see that here by, by even mentioning uh, these, these folks here in Chronicles. Because they didn't have to, but they did. The shortcomings that, that came with it. If you notice, I won't be reading through 
every name tonight. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to some highlights, and we're going to talk about um, some of the more famous characters, I guess, if you want, that are in Scripture. Verse 12, we're going to skip down. It goes on, and it talks about Boaz. We got Obed, and Obed begot Jesse. And we all remember Boaz, the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth had her husband died. Her brother-in-law died. The father died. There was a great famine in Moab, and her mother-in-law was going to move back to Israel, and she told him, you go back to your people. But she wouldn't. She was loyal to her mother-in-law. She said, let your God be my God. Your people be my people. And Ruth followed her mother-in-law back to Israel. And at this particular time in history, it was not very kind to women, especially widows and, and, and those without a husband or a son or to take care of them. So they would have to kind of glean on the outside to get food from in the wheat fields and such. And Ruth caught the eye of Boaz. And come to find out, he was a relative. And he became the kinsman redeemer. That's the person who, if a, if a family member is usually a, a male member, who would take care of whatever trouble another family member would have. He, they, they would, basically what he did was vindicate her and, and set her up and give her a status that, that, was, that was safe for her. And what did Jesus do for us? Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf to vindicate us and to have us with that right standing with God. And so we see God throughout Scripture just giving you hints and shadows of what was to come. And Boaz was one of those hints and one of those shadows that were to come. Then he said, he be, uh, Obed begot Jesse. Jesse was the, was the father of David, who is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And it says, Jesse begot Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadab the second, Shammah the third, Nathaniel the fourth, Redai the fifth, Ozim the sixth, and David the seventh. And it goes on to say in verse 16, it says, Now their sisters were Zuriah and Abigail, and the sons of Zuriah were uh, Abishai, Joab, and Ashahel, three. And Abigail bore Amasa, and the father of Amasa was Jether the Ishmaelite. Now those three names mentioned in verse 16 eventually would come on to be generals in David's army. We'll read a little bit more about them as, as we go on. But now we see David coming on to the scene. If you look through verses 18 through 24, we're going to see the family of Hezron, which is grandson of Judah. Now, this is not in the direct line of David. This is not in the direct line of our, of our Savior. But it does mention him. It says it traces a side line in the tribe of Judah, separate from the line that culminated in David. Many of these people were the people after the, after the captivity that ended up coming back, occupying Israel. So that's why these are often mentioned here, because they do come back to occupy that territory. When we get to verses 25 through 55, we're going to talk about Caleb, who's the great-grandson of Judah. So we continue to go through the genealogy of Judah, and a lot of those verses from 25 to 55, many of these remaining names on this list, this is the only place in the Bible that we read about them. 
They're mentioned in the genealogy of Judah. They're mentioned in those who, who, you know, for the people who would go back and return back after captivity, they know where they would belong. They know what their status was. They know where their land was. They know who their family were. So that's why these names happen to be mentioned here. If we get into chapter 3, it says the family of David. It says, now these were the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. The firstborn was Amon by Ahianoam, the, uh, the Jezreelitess. The second, Daniel by Abigail, the Carmelitess. The third, Absalom, the son of Maaka, and daughter of Talamai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephotiah by Abitel. The sixth, Ithrim by his wife Eglah. The sixth born to him in Hebron. There he reigned seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And these were born to, uh, to him in Jerusalem, Shammah, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Four by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amamil. Also, there were Ibhar, uh, Elishma, and Eliphalet, Nogah, Nopheg, Jepha, Elishma, Eliade, Eli Ada, and Eliphalet, nine in all. These were all the sons of David, besides the sons of concubines and Talmor and Talmor, their sister. So we see the sons of David starting to be mentioned here. And remember, he, he, he ruled in Hebron for a while, then he went down to Jerusalem after basically the nation was, was together again as a whole. And we see the reign of David uh, here. We see his sons. We see 19 sons in all. We don't know a lot about his sons. We know Absalom. We know Solomon. Uh, he had a son named Nathan. I think Nathan, if you remember the prophet Nathan, he's not the prophet Nathan, but the prophet Nathan was the one who kind of pointed to David with the sin of Bathsheba and, and, and killing Uriah. We kind of set David straight on that, and I think David had a lot of respect for Nathan and possibly even named his son, maybe, after Nathan. That's a possibility. And then we know David to have these 19 sons, and we also know that David was not the greatest father in the world. We know David was so occupied with building the kingdom and, and doing these things that probably a lot of these sons ran astray. We see with Absalom, what he did. Uh, Solomon was probably the best one in the bunch. But even him, towards the end, had a very uh, short fall and, and shortcomings when he started uh, getting in with these foreign women and wanting to, to satisfy them and setting up altars to their gods. And his heart went away from the Lord. But I think we, we need to find a balance, as David did not. We can learn from that, from, from his uh, shortcomings, to find a balance with work, find balance with family and ministry. I'm, I'm starting to learn that now, as being more, as over the past couple of years, putting sermons together and able to teach to you all, finding that time to put sermons together, finding that time to spend with my family, before Netta doesn't get mad, finding that time to be able to, you know, hey, now it's time for work. I have to put these other, th other things aside. And, 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 and it may not be ministry. It may just be work and family that some people have a hard time uh, balancing out. And we've seen David had a, definitely a hard time balancing these things out because a lot of his sons 
uh, we don't hear about, and those we do, we're not necessarily on the straight and narrow uh, walking with the Lord. So we have to find that balance uh, between work life and ministry and family. We need to find that. And it says Bathsheba. Uh, many think that's just another name for Bathsheba uh, in there. So it's just another pronunciation. We've seen that through First and Second Kings, and we can see that here, the different pronunciations in the different books through these stories. Uh, there's probably just another name for Bathsheba. Then we're going to go on. It says the family of Solomon. Solomon, and this is verse 10, chapter 3, says Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Uh, Abijah was his son. Asa, his son. Jehoshaphat, his son. Joram, his son. Ahaziah, his son. Joash, his son. Amaziah, his son. Ezra, his son. Jotham, his son. Ahaz, his son. Hezekiah, his son. Manasseh, his son. Amon, his son. Josiah, his son. The sons of Josiah was Johanan and his firstborn, and the second Jehoiakim, and the third Zedekiah, and the fourth Shalom. The sons of Jehoiakim were Jeconoah, his son, and Zedekiah, his son. Don't those names sound familiar? Going through First and Second Kings, those are, those are all the rulers of uh, Judah. So we see them mentioned again here in Chronicles. And there was only about eight kings altogether that were really good in Judah. And we know in Israel, not a one of those were good. They all did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, they didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord. They followed after their, their fathers and the examples they get. But at least in Judah, there was at least eight kings that were, that were good. Now, towards the end, some of them did kind of fall off. But ultimately, they, they, they attempted to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Then we know Rehoboam, this is where the division ended up coming in, where Israel and Judah split, and, and we, we know the rest of the history that comes from that. Then we got verses 17 through 24, is the line of David after the time of Judah's exile. So this is once they come back, they give you a list of, of those who were coming back. Uh, Adam Clark said, how barren to us is this register, both of an incident and interest. And yet a barren, barren rocks and sand deserts make integral and necessary ports of our globe. So do these gene genealogical tables make necessary ports of history and providence and grace in the maintenance of truth and the establishment of the church of Christ. Therefore, no one that fears God will either despise or lightly esteem them. We said earlier, every bit of God's word is true. Every bit of God's word means something. And, and we shouldn't just take this lightly. Just like we, don't take our, we shouldn't take our own family's genealogy lightly. We should want to have from this moment forward to where our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren can look back through their genealogy and say, ah, that's where it all started. That's where those who followed the Lord in our family got it from. From Ron, from Roy, from Brandon. And that just, just gives me a good feeling in my heart that they can look back and see that. 
And they can do the same thing here with these genealogies that we have here. But let's be honest, I mean, these genealogies can get a little boring to us. But if we read it and take the time to understand it and know that God doesn't waste any words, there's definitely a reason for these genealogies to be in there. All right, then we're going to go on to chapter 4, and it goes more into more of the family of Judah. But then we get to a point in verses 9 and verses 10. We've all heard of the Jabez prayer. Bruce Wilkerson had the book many years ago, I think almost 20 years ago. They came out, the prayer of Jabez. Um, the pastor that came uh, during my ordination, uh, Pastor Ken, that's one of his main sermons he likes to preach, is the prayer of Jabez. And uh, so this, this prayer does have a special part in my heart because of him. But it says in verse 9, it says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Now, you know, in this time, the names of people meant a lot. Maybe not so much now. I look at Netta with her family and her culture. For me, a name doesn't mean a whole lot. My name is Brandon. What does that mean? And in Netta's culture, the names do mean something. There is something serious about those names. There are titles that they hold. Uh, it talks about the person just like here with Jabez, you know, because I bore him in pain, gives them an idea of how he came into this world. So there's meanings to names. And I think in America, a lot of us is taking that for granted, and we don't look at it as such. But there is a lot inside of a person's name. And it says that he was more honorable than his brothers. Why was he more honorable than his brothers? I mean, am I more honorable than my sister? Or, you know, are you more honorable than your brothers or your sister? That's for the Lord to determine. But it says here that he was more honorable than his brothers. And maybe one of the reasons why is because it seems to me that Jabez seemed to be a praying man. He was a praying person. He would pray to the Lord. He probably trusted and walked in the ways of the Lord. We only know about him through these two, two verses here in, in, in Scripture. But maybe he was more honorable because he did follow in the ways of the Lord, and he did know who to seek. D. Campbell Morgan said, while through these genealogies, and indeed through all the history, we are occupied with those, uh, those connected with government and procession of events leading to universal issues. It is refreshing to be halted by the story of one man who took his need directly to God and obtained an answer. It's true. We, we, go through, through, we went through First and Second Kings, and we see all this political stuff and all this stuff with the kingdom and all these royal people and the problems they had. It's good to see just your common person pop up in Scripture, asking God for, for, for his prayer, which we'll get into, and actually getting an answer for it. That should bring you hope that God answers even the little people, little people's prayer, you know. You don't have to be a king or a president or a royalty to get prayers answered. God wants to answer the common people's prayer. He loves us. He wants to answer those prayers for it. And we see that here with Jabez. And we talk about him being more honorable. Jabez, according to God, was more honorable than his brothers. Maybe one reason we just said was that he prayed. He was a praying man. Are we praying men and women? Do we honestly get up in the morning and the first thing we do is say, thank you, Lord, and pray? Is it the last thing we do when we go to sleep at night? Paul said, pray without ceasing. Are we constantly in an attitude of prayer throughout our day? Are we? 
I'll be the first one to say, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I need to be, and I need to work on that. And, and it can start with this prayer of Jabez, getting you, you know, copying what he's praying, getting yourself back into an a, uh, attitude and a habit of prayer. Because God's saying he is more honorable to his brothers. He prayed. He, he had a prayer life. Do we have a prayer life? We need, we need to think about that. He didn't talk about his mother called him, uh, said, because I bore him in pain or sorrow. Jabez's name means associated with pain or sorrow. So there must have been some pain for during childbirth for him. But that name, can you imagine that? You walk and say, hey, pain, come here. That's his name. You know, I wouldn't want that title. But here we see Jabez has it, but he's still what? He's still seeking the Lord. He's not bitter about it. He's not, he's not you know, terrible with it. He, he's okay. He goes to the Lord in prayer. Then we see Jabez says, verse 10, it says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel. Are we calling on the God of Israel? Are we calling on God daily? Do we, do we expect God to, to, to be there and listen to us? Often I think we, forget, we don't think God's really listening. He has more bigger, better things to be occupied with. But he says he called on the God of Israel. Jabez was honored, and we know a little, we don't know much about him except for what we see right here, but he still called on the God of Israel. Jabez prayed that he would be blessed indeed. Blessings are good. Blessings sometimes can be a curse. But if it's a blessing from God, it's going to be good. And we see Jabez calling upon the God of Israel to bless him indeed. I just don't want a small blessing. I want to be blessed by you, Lord. I want to also be a blessing to you, Lord. So we see him asking for God's blessing. Jabez prayed to enlarge his territory. Now, I've heard too many health and wealth preachers talk about enlarge my territory, give me a new Rolls Royce, or let me have that new land out there, you know. Lord, enlarge my territory. I need 100 acres of land for my jet. But uh, this, is, this is not what, this is not what, Jabez is talking about. This is not enlarging his territory for he can have riches. Some say he may have said this because of the, the Canaanites that were in the, in the area. Maybe he was asking that the Lord would help move those people out of that land. So the promise of God, and they can take over the promised land and be, and be well there. But just remember that this is not about physical territory. This is about enlarging the territory for God. It's about asking God, hey, enlarge my territory for your glory. Enlarge my territory. Maybe, maybe it is land. Maybe it's land to, to build a ministry on. Maybe it's, maybe it's land to be able to minister to others on. But maybe it's spiritually. Maybe it's, Lord, in, in, enlarge my disciples. Enlarge the territory of influence I have to be able to speak your word, to be able to, to get your gospel out. Enlarge that territory. Don't enlarge me, but enlarge the territory that you want me. Enlarge my platform to be able to speak to the masses for, for people to hear of who you are. Enlarge my territory here in Lafayette to speak to those outside these four walls. Enlarge my areas maybe in Acadiana for I can speak to other, other parishes about who you are and what you are to people, what you can do and what your son did. Maybe that's the territory that needs to be enlarged. Then Jabez asked uh, that the hand of God would be with him. 
Now, a lot of times when we hear the hand of God, especially in the Old Testament, that hand of God is not very good. Usually the hand of God is judgment coming down on someone. But he's asking for the hand of God. He's asking for the power of God to be upon him, which I think is a, a, a very, very good thing. In Psalm 77.10, it says, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Here we see Jabez's uh, prayer advance for something to remember later. Let me, see you, let me see you move, Lord. Let me see you move in these people that I am around. Let me see you move in my life. Let me see you move for our, yes, I can see it now, but I can also remember it for the future when things maybe aren't so bright. I know that you're moving because I've seen it. I've seen your hand. I've seen your power. And then that's what he asked him. Lord, that your hand would be with me. Ask the Lord that every day when I'm going to work. Lord, let your hand be with me. Or I ask for his favor in, in what I'm going to do with the people I have to work with, whether it's supervisors, whether it's whether, whatever it may be. I want God's hand on me. I want God's power on me to be able to handle whatever it is that's going to happen in my day. And that's what we see Jabez asking here. Jabez uh, also asked to keep, uh, that he would keep... Uh, him from evil, and that he would not cause him pain. What was his name? Pain. Maybe he didn't want to cause pain to others. Let me, let me be a righteous man. Let me walk in your righteous ways and treat others right. Or maybe he didn't want to have pain on him because he knew he may have been going through a trial and trying to expand the territory he was asking. We don't, we don't know. We don't know exactly what that pain consisted of, but in this, Jabez recognized that evil in this world, and no doubt because he had lived through much pain in his own life, that he didn't want that pain anymore. See, Jabez recognized that he needed God to keep him from evil. How many of us need God to keep us from evil? Keep us from the temptations that come our way that we're so prone to fall into. And he knew God was the only one that can keep him from that. Jabez recognized that the hand of God was there also to bless us can transform the evil and pain of our life. That God was the only one that could turn it around and take the pain and take the evil and, and these temptations we have. He's the only one that can rip it away from us and get it uprooted out of our hearts. So he knew exactly who to go to to get rid of the pain and the evil that may have been in his life or that he may have been causing on others. I don't want to cause the pain on others. I don't want to bring evil on others, so help me. And then this is a sweet sound at the end of that verse. It says, so God granted him what he requested. Doesn't it feel good when you pray and God actually gives you what you requested? You know then you're praying in line with what God wants. And we're just not, you know, praying our own will onto things. But we need to pray. Every time we pray, we need to pray in God's will. How do we know God's will? By reading his word. Knowing how to pray, knowing in what direction, what is God's will, and let's pray that way. Often when I pray, I'll say at the end, Lord, if it be your will. Because sometimes I'll pray for things, and I don't know what God has in store, whether it's for sick family members, whether it's financial security for myself or anyone else. I don't know what God's plan is. All I know, God can take me here and put me on the other side of the world tomorrow. I don't know. But I just pray, Lord, your will be done. Whatever it may be, I will be satisfied. Because that's where we need to be. We need to be satisfied with the will of God. 
And the will of God doesn't always look like our will. So if our will's out of whack, we need to get it in whack, back in uh, check with the way God's will is. Amen. So he answered God's prayer. You don't have to turn there, but in uh, 1 John 5, 14, it reads, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If our prayer is in line with God, he hears us. And you know what? Sometimes the answer may be wait. Sometimes the answer is no. I've been told no quite a bit. And that's okay. Because it wasn't God's will, and that's all right. And some prayers I'm still waiting on. Especially for those who are in need salvation, loved ones that need salvation. I'm waiting. There's a few phone calls I'm ready to get. <laughs> so, um, we see this here. Adam Clark said, Readers, imitate the conduct of this worthy Israelite, that thou mayst be a partaker of his blessing. We can pray like Jacob. The Father wants us to pray like Jacob. And it's not for our own glory, it's not for our own gain, it's for his gain, and for his glory. That's what the prayer is about. Not about us, it's about what his will is what he has. So I think we can model this prayer, just like I know the, the large prayer, we can say it verbatim, we can say it word for word, and it still means just as much. But we know that that prayer is a model prayer of how we should pray. And I think Jabez's prayer here is a model prayer of how we should pray as well. Just another example. Calling on God. Asking for his hand to be upon us. Asking for not to cause pain or even be in pain. Expand our territory for you. And then we'll, we'll see God answer those prayers. Amen? Father, uh, we come to you tonight, Lord, and we do lift this up to you, Lord. We do ask that you would expand our territories for your glory and for your will, Father God. That we would be able to witness to the lost, Father, and that they would just be an expansion of you, Father, as you save them, Lord, and that we can continue to multiply that in this as we go out into the world, but we start here in Jerusalem, Father. And we just ask for your blessing over this word and that uh, whatever you had to speak to the people tonight, Lord, went forth, that it would bring you glory, Father. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.